Hello, and welcome to Archway's Western Civilization History Podcast for lovers. I'm your host, Marie Archway, and today we will be looking at the best of the West and discuss why the West is different from the rest. So, listeners, what will you be doing for your sweetheart on Valentine's Day? Getting them chocolates? Giving them flowers? Perhaps composing beautiful poems or songs for your sweet and dainty beloved? Or maybe you're just over that whole Valentine's Day thing and you think all that stuff is sappy. And let's be real, it's totally sappy. But the human family has a long and beautiful history of being sappy and flowery and writing poems. And it's a tradition that I'm very proud to be a part of. Doug and I are going to be talking a lot about Rome this month. And that's going to be very cool. We're going to discuss lots of great battles and lots of very interesting political intrigue stuff. But I thought we'd do a little bit of a shift and talk about poetry. Now, it's important to remember that any civilization that becomes wealthy or stable enough, i.e. it's not starving, it's not being constantly invaded, is a nation, civilization, or even town that can begin to create art. Because art, beautiful though it is, is something that people cannot always afford to do, whether because of time constraints or resources constraints. A lot of times both. Anyway, after the fall of the Roman Republic and the coming to power of Augustus Caesar, Rome was sitting pretty on a very big empire, despite many years of civil war from before Augustus was in power. And there was a pretty big push for poetry with the new empire. Augustus especially wanted to produce lots of art and poetry, to get people more excited to be Roman and to convince them that the whole empire shtick was a very good idea. The government sponsored many poets, and some of the greatest works of Western literature are created by Rome contracting out poets and paying them for their services. Now, some of these great poems you might have heard of, like the Aeneid, for example, was state-sponsored, written by Virgil, amazing book, However, funny enough, not all Roman poets liked the new regime very much, and so while some of them continued to write, you know, for the government to promote the new empire, some of them also had some interesting takes on Augustus's seas of power and also wrote poems against him, just for the, you know, their private fun. Anyway, you're probably thinking to yourself, Marie, what on earth does this have to do with love poetry? Are the poems being written for the government about love? And yeah, they are. A lot of poems were written about couples and marriage and relationships. This was in part because Augustus was enacting a new set of marriage laws and reforms during his reign. You see, many Romans had died from the previous civil wars being fought between Augustus and Mark Antony and Marius and Sulla a few years before that. So a lot of people had died. So Augustus was doing everything he could to encourage the Romans 
in having families and reproducing, just so that the people wouldn't die. A lot of Romans died in those civil wars. Now that you have the context, let's meet some of these poets. The first one I'd like to introduce you to is Catullus. Now, Catullus lived about the turn of the Roman Empire and the Roman Republic. He spent a good portion of his life in both halves. And he was particularly interested in his beautiful lover, Lesbia. Now, Lesbia isn't her real name. That's a nickname that uh, he gave her so that their love would not be found out. Anyway, unfortunately, we don't know much about Catullus's life, except for what he wrote in poems. And from what we know in his poems, he first falls in love with Lesbia, and their love is beautiful and great, and then she eventually breaks up with him, and leaves him to write really sad poems about not having lesbia anymore. And sometimes those poems are also kind of mixed in with a lot of salt and angst for her leaving him. Now, Catullus was not the only poet with a lady friend. Pro tip to all you single people out there, being a poet can lead to some great dating opportunities. Another one of the great Roman poets is Ovid. Ovid was a prolific writer, and he wrote very many exciting poems, uh, including, but not limited to, the Metamorphoses, which are where we get a lot of our Greek myths from. Uh, we also get the Heroides, which is a bunch of letters from heroic wives written to their husbands, which is honestly a really fun read. I recommend it highly. You could also say that Ovid literally wrote the handbook on how to be in love. He wrote the poem Ars Amortia, which is the handbook on how to be in love. And it's suspected that in part this poem was written for one of Augustus's either daughters or granddaughters. Anyway, in addition to writing poems for Augustus's daughters, it could be said that uh, maybe Ovid fell in love with one of those daughters and kind of had an affair with one of those daughters, which was definitely against Augustus's new family laws, and also Augustus wasn't a big fan of poets anyway, at least not the kind canoodling around with his daughters. So... Ovid got banished from Rome for scandalous things, scandalous things. Now, he never admits this. This is more of the speculation of historians. Ovid says that he got exiled from Rome for, quote, a poem and a mistake. And the poem that got him exiled from Rome, we're pretty sure, was The Art of Love, Ars Amortia. And now. A dramatic reading from the Ars Armortia, The Art of Love, by Ovid. Should any one of the people not know the art of loving, let him read me, and taught by me, on reading my lines, let him love. By art the ships are onward sped by sails and oars. By art are the light chariots. By art 
is love to be guided. Now, Ovid's primary topic of choice was love poetry, but after the exile to Tomis, he kind of went into really sad poetry about being in exile and being betrayed by the Roman government, and that's, you know, no fun. He writes two poetry collections in exile, the Tristia and Espustulae ex Ponto. And yeah, I don't blame him. Being exiled is terrible, especially when it's because you fell in love and wrote a sappy poem about it. Now, our last Roman poet is not a love poet, necessarily, and his name is Virgil. Now, Virgil is the bigwig of Roman poets, because he writes the Aeneid, which is essentially Rome's origin story, but it's also the sequel to the Iliad. Think of it this way. The Iliad is one year of the Trojan War. Everyone loves it. The Odyssey is a spin-off of the Iliad about one of the characters in the Iliad going on an epic quest. The Aeneid is kind of like Star Wars Episode 7, 8, and 9, in that it takes place after the events of the Iliad and also tries to continue the events of the Iliad. The only difference between the Iliad and the Aeneid and the Star Wars movies is that the sequel to the uh, Iliad, the Aeneid, is awesome, and I love it so much, and the Star Wars movies that have recently come out are absolute trash. There's a hot opinion for you. Anyway, the Aeneid is about the prince Aeneas leaving Troy miraculously, going on an amazing quest, ending up in Italy, fighting a couple wars there, and then becoming king of the kingdom that will eventually give birth to Romulus and Remus. Really great stuff. 10 out of 10 would read it or listen to it. Anyway, so Virgil writes this on request of the emperor, Augustus, and it is Virgil's absolute masterpiece. The Latin in the Aeneid is so beautiful and there are so many clever phrasings and clever... So many clever phrasings and clever wordplay and it's really, really amazing. If you ever learn Latin, you'll probably have to read the Aeneid, but it will be great because you'll be reading the Aeneid. Anyway, Virgil, however, was pretty upset with his work, as most artists are. Even though his work is beautiful and history-changing and people have loved it for actual centuries, he tried to destroy the copies of the Aeneid that he had because it wasn't finished. And in fact, the Aeneid still isn't finished, technically. It's at a, it ends at a good stopping point, at least it didn't end on a cliffhanger, that'd be pretty terrible. But there are some parts of it that are incomplete, just because Virgil didn't finish writing it. Now, it would be a crime and a sin to end this podcast with no poetry from Virgil. And so, I will read to you from the Aeneid. 
just as a little bit of context. So Aeneas is a prince of Troy. He has been cast out of Troy because Troy got lit on fire after the Trojan horse thing. Anyway, he sails to Africa into a city called Carthage, where he falls in love with a queen named Dido. Now, Dido fell pretty hard for Aeneas, and Aeneas kind of knew the whole time that he had to go found Rome and he shouldn't stay in Africa, and the gods said he shouldn't stay in Africa, and he knew he shouldn't stay in Africa, but he stayed in Africa for a little bit and fell in love with Dido, so that was kind of a problem. Anyway, he eventually marries her, and then he realizes he has to go. And this is the argument that Dido throws at him. From Virgil's Aeneid. At last she assails Aeneas, before he said a word. So, you traitor, you really believed you'd keep this a secret, this great outrage? Steal away in silence from my shores? Can nothing hold you back? Not our love? Not the pledge once sealed with our right hands? Not even the thought of Dido doomed to a cruel death? Why labor to rig your fleet when the winter's raw to risk the deep when the north wind's closing wind? You cruel, heartless, even if you were not pursuing alien fields and unknown homes, and even if ancient Troy were standing still, who would sail for Troy across such heaving seas? You're running away from me? I pray you by these tears, by the faith in your right hand, what else have I left it myself in all my pain by our wedding vows, the marriage we began? If I deserve some decency from you now, if anything mine has ever won your heart, pity a great house about to fall, I pray you. Unfortunately for Dido, Aeneas didn't stay for her, and she ended up burning her whole house and all of his stuff because she was so sad, and she ended up dying of that sadness. So, if you're ever unlucky in love or you're trying to get away from your girlfriend, just say you have to go found Rome, and then actually do it. And then it's okay to break up with her, but she'll still be pretty sad about it and harbor a generational grudge against you. A grudge so strong that Carthage will later declare war on Rome many, many years later. Hey, thank you so much for listening to our podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that you felt a lot of love coming from Doug and I over here. We do love our listeners. If you'd like to learn more about Ovid, Catullus, or Virgil, I recommend reading their biographies or reading their poetry. If you'd like to continue to support this podcast, please listen to it still and share it with your friends who might like history or with your lover who might like poetry. You can also email us or fill out our Google form if you have any questions or comments on episodes you'd like to see or things that we can do better. Anyway, thank you so much for listening, and that's history. As an additional bonus, though, I tried to read Catullus 5 for this episode. Please enjoy my outtake of it. And now, a reading of Catullus 5. Let us live, my lesbia. And let us love, and let us value all the rumor of more severe old men at a single ass. 
suns are able to set and rise again. But to us, when once brief light has set, one perpetual night will be for sleeping. Give to me a thousand kisses, then a hundred, then another thousand, then a second hundred, then without cease, another thousand, then another hundred. <laughs>